Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Okay. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and the great was the fall of it. Okay. Um, we've got a guest speaker today from New Zealand. Yeah, yeah come on. <laughs> Where's your Bible, Jamie? Yeah. He's <laughs> uh, from New Zealand. He speaks all over the world. He's lived in America as well. Um, he's an awesome preacher. He was my pastor when I was about yay high. So it's really an honour for me to have him here speaking, and I'd just like to welcome up uh, David Brett. You want to take? Yes, you want to take that one away in case uh, I need to stand. Thank you. Well, good afternoon. It's nice to meet you all. Now, Yos uh, invited me, and I've invited five other people, and that's how the church grows, isn't it? Uh, I might if it was a wee bit higher. Yeah, it's a, it's for short people. That'll be good. Thank you very much. Thanks. So no, I don't need that. You can take that one away. Uh, I've just uh, I'm just coming to the end of a short journey. I've been uh, in China, and then in Philippines, uh, in the southern Philippines in Mindanao. And uh, yes, that's what they said when I went there. Don't you know we're having a war here? <laughs> it's a very interesting place to go, especially when you want to go and have coffee and you find there are three armed guards at the door uh, because there's just so much uh, thievery and kidnapping and so on going on. I saw a neat T-shirt there, though. It said, fat people are hard to kidnap. <laughs> so there's a little tip for you if you think that's a good business proposition. Now, what I want to share today will not be, uh, and I know this up front won't be relevant necessarily for everybody who's here, but this is uh, the way I look at things is that when we go along to the house of God and we listen to what is being shared on a Sunday, uh, we can carry that with us through the week and hopefully God will give us the opportunity of sharing something that we've learned, something that we've heard with somebody else. Is that true? And even though we don't have photographic memories, in fact, I think only, it's only the Korean people who have photographic memories, but the rest of us ordinary folk, uh, we probably can only remember maybe 10% of, of uh, what we've heard on a Sunday. But if something that it rings a bell for us, then uh, we might find it useful during the week, a scripture that might just jog something in your heart and you can share that with someone else. And so in that way today becomes beneficial. So what I want to talk about today is our final journey. Our final journey. I did have another title for it, but I've, I've settled on this one, and I understand that I've got about uh, 34 minutes, 
And so I'm going to hurry along as fast as I can and we'll see uh, how it all goes out. Usually I plan to quit as soon as people start falling asleep. So if anybody's nodding off, I'll throw something at you or else I'll quit. Our final journey. Jesus, I thank you for helping me with your word today. I pray that uh, your word would be the entrance of light into someone's heart. I pray that you'd uh, enable people to understand, even if my accent is uh, difficult. I pray that uh, there would be an ease of understanding as the Holy Spirit helps us all. In Jesus' name, amen. I heard there was a woman in England who was tired of her husband uh, coming home drunk from the pub every night, so she planned to give him a bit of a scare. She went to a costume hire shop and she got a devil outfit and uh, she also got a pitchfork and a mask and uh, she knew the route that he traveled home from the pub and so she waited in an alleyway and just as he was staggering by, she leaped out in front of him with the pitchfork and everything and the horns, and, uh, but he wasn't afraid. Uh, She was quite shocked at this, and he said, Who are you? And she said, I'm the devil. And he held out his hand, and he said, Well, pleased to meet you. I married your sister. (laughs) Now, the truth is that... (laughs) The truth is that in our modern society, that people only tend to make jokes about the devil. We don't maybe treat the devil with the seriousness that we ought to. Now I noticed in the prayer time before that there was some uh, powerful prayers being made concerning spiritual forces and spiritual attack which will come upon any church that is doing anything for God. It's the churches that don't, uh, business as usual sort of situations that don't experience any type of spiritual attack. And sometimes when I'm traveling, I have a satanic attack in the form of apparitions that come into my room And in multiple countries this has occurred. The last one, I was in a pastor's house and uh, I woke up in the night and an apparition came up between the the bed and the wall. And it came up and then grew like that and it was hovering over me. It was a woman, blonde hair, a funny straw hat and smeary uh, lipstick all over its face and was leering and hissing. And I don't know if, if this is common if people uh, often have these things, I'm not sure if other people do or not, but uh, I've never seen the same apparition twice and they come in many different guises, but this is what I know, that when we are attacked by a spiritual force, that we have authority in Jesus' name to say, I command you to go in the name of Jesus and instantaneously it will go. Now in the morning I said to the pastor, you know, Um, I don't know if you heard any noise in the night as I rebuked a spirit that was in my room. And the pastor said, oh yes, we've had problems in that room before. I said, hey, wait a minute. You'd think they would have dealt with it by now. But uh, anyway, many people, sadly even in the church, and I suspect not this one, but in many churches there are folk who don't even believe in hell anymore. Now one of the devil's greatest strategies is to convince people that he doesn't exist. In John 10 and verse 10, Jesus said the thief comes only, the thief or the devil, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now my youngest son has Down syndrome. He's 24 years old. Uh, He has diminished brain capacity, but he has an enlarged capacity to love God. 
And it's usually so that when somebody loses a, f- a faculty, that they gain other ones. Uh, people who are blind have incredible sensitivity, for example. And, uh, and so he is certainly has a, an interesting love for God. And he kept saying to me, I can't wait till I'm a pastor. And I said to him one day, Jason, would you like to preach? Oh, yes, he said. Now, they say that the, the two greatest fears that men have is the fear of death and the fear of public speaking. So uh, I said, well, if you want to prepare a message, I'll, op- I'll provide an opportunity for you to preach it. And so he began to pre- prepare his own message. His favorite book in the Bible is Revelation. And so he studied away and he got his message written, all written down. He got pages and pages of notes and, and I helped him out a little bit. But basically the whole order of things was his own idea and his own presentation. And finally on the great day, it was a Sunday afternoon, he stood up in front of a crowd of people and his opening introduction was this. My name is Jason Brett and I'm not afraid to die. Now that's quite a powerful statement. And I wonder if everybody who's here who has all of their brain cells working can make the same statement. Are you afraid to die? And have you made preparation for the final journey? Now, I don't think dying is bad when you know where you're going. But dying can be very frightening if you have no assurance of your eternal destination. In Romans 8 and verse 16, it says, The Spirit himself testifies or in some translations bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children and that's a very interesting portion of scripture I think you should tuck that one away and I'll explain why in a moment but if you go up the chapter into verse 9 it says if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ he does not belong to Christ if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ he does not belong to Christ Now, the reason that this is important is that I often ask people uh, if they're Christians. If you want to get onto the subject quickly, then you just can't almost find a better question than that one. It it gets you right there. You don't talk about the flowers are nice or the weather's nice or uh, what do you do for a job. You just get right in there and say, are you a Christian? And you find out right away what's happening. And some people say, I hope so, which is interesting. I hope so. I think that's a very strange answer. I hope so. And some people say, or they name the denomination in which they were baptized as a child. Now, I I could laugh. I try not to laugh when I hear that kind of an answer because uh, I want to have an intelligent conversation. I don't want to make people feel small. But uh, personally, I feel that a child that's baptized has no say in the matter. And therefore, uh, I sometimes use an illustration that goes like this. Imagine if when you were small, your father said, Son, when you're older, you're going to be a garbage collector. And you said, But Dad, I don't want to be a garbage collector. You said, No, son, that's it. I decided that when you're older, you'll be a garbage collector. Would that be fair? And the person always says, no, that wouldn't be fair. I said, well, it isn't fair that when you were small, somebody sprinkled some water on your head and said, you're a Christian. Surely that isn't fair. And sometimes people say, yeah, maybe that's the truth. So uh, what I then ask people is, do they have a deep in their heart the assurance 
of a relationship with the living God. I usually qualify with people up front that I don't push a denomination. I don't say you must be this or you shouldn't be that. What I talk about is the necessity of a personal relationship with Jesus regardless of what your tradition and background might be. In Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 7 and verse 2 it says, Death is the destiny of every man. So we all have one thing in common, don't we? Death is the destiny of every man. But people don't want to die. Like the kamikaze pilot who flew 10 unsuccessful missions. The truth is, we all have an appointment with the undertaker. In fact, you mightn't have thought about this when you woke up this morning, but right now there are trees growing to make your box. And the box, my box, they already cut the tree down. They've even planed the wood. And it's sitting in a factory somewhere just waiting to be all glued together for Brett. <laughs> now, I, I met a sad lady on a plane. We were flying from London to New York and she told me her son had been angry that his wife had divorced him so he bought a gun, he went round to her house and he killed her. And then he came home to her house, he went in the garage, he put the gun in his mouth and he blew his head off. So this very sad lady that was sitting next to me on the plane had had two funerals. She then flew to Europe in the hopes that the journey would help her to forget her sorrows. And she'd had a one-month vacation and now she was flying home to her memories. And the Holy Spirit who knew the heart of that lady had put me next to her out of 360 people on the plane. Isn't God, God kind? He's so loving. He's so wonderful. And he's so compassionate and caring. And uh, we talked about a number of things. And then the lady said to me, Do you believe in reincarnation? Now this is probably uh, an interesting subject for, for this country and some of the other Asian nations around us, many people of course uh, would believe in that. And if somebody asks you if you believe in reincarnation, probably the immediate answer to that would be no. That would be the easy answer, wouldn't it? But sometimes the answer or the obvious answer is not the answer. Sometimes when people came to Jesus and asked him a question, he said, oh, let me ask you a question. And so sometimes the answer to the question is another question. So I said to the lady, do you, uh, sorry, I said, do you believe that the Bible is the word of God? Oh, she said, yes, I'm a Catholic. So I took out my Bible and I opened it to Hebrews 9 and verse 27 and I gave the Bible to her to read. I think that has more power really than just reading the verse to her so now she's sitting there in the plane she's got my bible open and she's reading hebrews 9 and 27 and it says man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment now how plain and simple is the bible so uncomplicated don't you think the lady says that she believes the bible is the word of god but in the back of her mind, she's hope, hoping, hoping, hoping that there'll be a reincarnation because then her son can come back as a worm and have another shot at life. Or a bug or something. I don't really know how that can be helpful, but this is what people think. Now, 
what that scripture says is there's one death and there's one judgment and in a short time really through the power of that one scripture that lady opened her heart and received the peace of God God's amazing isn't he God is so awesome so wonderful I believe that our Father in Heaven hears every cry for help. Sometimes the answer doesn't come maybe as quickly as we would wish it would. I was street witnessing in, in Edinburgh one, uh, one Easter weekend. We'd, a group of pastors got together and we decided that we would blanket Edinburgh 24 hours a day for three days. We would cover the streets of the city with pastors and some evangelists. And so we were out, I pulled the 3 a.m. shift and I, I was out in a, down a side alley in Edinburgh at 3 a.m. in the morning and there wasn't tons of people around actually and I saw this guy a little ahead so I hurried up to get behind him but when he saw me hurrying up, he hurried up and so we had one of those situations and finally I, I caught up with him and we were underneath the street light and I began to share Jesus with him. And while I was talking to him, he swung his head away. He didn't move his body, he just turned his head around and I wondered why he'd done that so I, I moved around like that and I could see under the street light that there were tears running down his face. And I said, why are you crying? And he said, I have cried out to God. For 18 months, every day I pray, God, reveal yourself to me. And he said, God has never answered my prayer. I said, oh, but can't you see? Today he has answered your prayer. At three o'clock in the morning, the Holy Spirit has sent someone to talk to you and show you how you can come to know Jesus Christ. Now the thing that's sad about that story is that it took so long for somebody to come to him. The thing that's inter interesting about the story is that his heart was open to receive from Christ. And he did that day. Now, in Matthew 7, we looked at some scriptures this morning concerning some builders. Jesus said one was wise and one was foolish. They both went out to build houses, but one used sand for his foundation. Now, I'm sure if you're not even a builder, you know that that's pretty, pretty weird. Uh, nobody just builds their house on the sand. It's just, it's just not done. And it's a lot of work to build a house. Did you know that? I know because I've built houses. And it's a lot of work to build a house and the most important thing is to get the foundation right. Jesus said the wise man built his house on the rock and when the storm came and the floods and the wind beat upon it, it stood firm. But the home of the foolish man fell with a great crash. Now Jesus was using this illustration uh, to describe those who pay no attention to eternal values. The people that float through life without any foundation at all, no spiritual concepts, no, uh, no desire to please God, to serve God, to love God, or to be in a relationship with God, no foundation in their life. And both houses look good until the storm came. But I can promise you this, I'm the oldest person here today. Isn't that amazing? I, w I was speaking at a Youth for Christ meeting in Scotland and, 
And the guy that was introducing me said, Well, the speaker tonight has grey hair, but he wears vans. <laughs> so suddenly I was okay because I had the right shoes. But uh, because I can look further back, I can come to you with maybe uh, definitely with greater experience. And I can promise you that in your lifetime, there'll be a storm. Now, my wife and I have a child in heaven. And I can promise you that the pain of that will cut you like a knife. It is one of the most difficult things that you can possibly go through. But there are other tragedies that come to us. And uh, my youngest son, Jason, I've already talked about just uh, four Sundays ago. In fact, around about this time, four Sundays ago, we went into his hospital room. He was having open heart surgery and his heart had stopped. His lungs had deflated and he'd gone into a coma and the surgeon took us out into a side room to prepare us that he might not make it. And so once again, here we are as parents thinking that we will now have two children in heaven. And so there are some big storms that come into our life and and five years ago I had to sit in a doctor's office when the doctor read my scan and my biopsy and said, I'm sorry, but the cancer you have is incurable and you have about two years to live. And so it's another storm that comes into our life and approximately 25% of any population in the world has cancer or will contract cancer in their lifetime. These are storms that come not just in the lives of other people, but sadly in the lives of people like us. Now, you may have noticed that I haven't died yet. <laughs> so, the surgeon may have been right about the kind of cancer I had, but he didn't understand the power of God. And so, for three more years beyond my use-by date, I've managed to keep going. So, God is good, isn't he? You see, the quality of our foundation is revealed in adversity. In Proverbs 10 and verse 25 it says, When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. So I need to ask you a question, and you need to respond to this question in your heart. Do you have the assurance of His presence in your life? Because if there is one thing that God wants to do for you, every one of you today, it's to let you have and enjoy an assurance of your relationship with Him. And if you don't have that assurance, if you don't have that intimate knowledge of knowing God, I want to promise you that today you can invite Christ to become the solid foundation in your life. You know, the Bible is not complicated. Even a child can understand its simple truths. I was reading a book not long ago by Billy Graham. He's one of my heroes. Today he's an elderly man, but in his years he was the greatest evangelist. I think in this hour he is the greatest living evangelist on the planet. An awesome man of God. And in his book he wrote that 50% of the people sitting in American churches do not have the assurance of eternal life. That is a tragic 
tragic uh, statistic. Now, I don't know what the what the claim would be for Korea. Something the same or worse. Three-fourths. Well, that is very sad. Now, Jesus gives us a little insight into this when he talks about, uh, in a story he told in Matthew 25. And he begins his words, or he begins the chapter with these words, at that time. Matthew 25 begins with, at that time, which makes you wonder, what time was it? And to find out what time it was, we have to go back to Matthew 24, which appears right before Matthew 25. Isn't that interesting? And uh, as we read through Matthew 24, and this is a wonderful chapter to read to your friends who don't care about God, uh, they'll find some interesting stuff in here, you know. The, Matthew 24 is about the signs of Christ's return and the end of the age, the things that will happen at the end of the age. And in verse 44 he says, You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. At that time, jumping over to Matthew 25, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five were foolish and five were wise. All of these virgins, which represent the church, were externally prepared inasmuch as they had their wedding gowns and they had their lamps. But then there was a cry. The bridegroom is coming. And five of those externally prepared people weren't ready. They had no oil in their lamps. And oil in Scripture symbolically speaks about the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit activates the presence of God in our hearts when we pray and reach out to God in faith. This whole transaction is so simple. So simple, a child can grasp it, and children do grasp it. Let me say it again. The Holy Spirit activates the presence of God in our hearts when we pray and reach out to God in faith. The conclusion of this story is that the bridegroom arrived and the five virgins who were ready and prepared went into the marriage celebration. Jesus, of course, is the bridegroom whom we are waiting for. Do you understand that? We are the church. We are the virgins who are preparing themselves to await the coming of the bridegroom. And yet Jesus sadly says in his parable that 50% will not be ready. Now the thoughts I'm sharing today, as simple as they are, are probably too much to take in in 30 minutes, though I've just had my time extended. <laughs> Which is really nice. But, uh, but I'll, still, I'll still push on because I learned a long time ago that the head can't take more than the seat can stand. And a young lady in Scotland said to me one time, church gives me a numb bum. <laughs> but, uh, but I must say, that this church is quite nice because your seats are padded. <laughs> very cool, very cool. 
Okay. Um, but I would encourage you, those of you who are studious or like to study the Word, to read yourself, Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, and get a grip of what this, uh, what these scriptures are saying. Also, I'm sure that your, your friends will find that Jesus' comments will be incredibly interesting. People want to know how it all works out at the end. They want to know what's happening at the end of the age and why are there so many earthquakes happening in so many parts of the world. And all of this is mentioned here in Matthew 24. Now, if we were to drop down quickly in uh, the 25th chapter down to verse 25, uh, sorry, down at the end of the 25th chapter, Jesus talks of a great division. He said the nations will be gathered before him and separated to the right and to the left. In America, they have a bumper sticker, which I like. It says, get right or get left. And uh, it may, may have come from this portion of Scripture. But he separates the nations uh, to the right and to the left. And to, to those on the right, he will say, welcome, take your inheritance. I was hungry and you fed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Who would have thought that this is what Jesus was going to say when he welcomes us into his kingdom? Who would have ever dreamed that he'd be talking about stuff like that? But they were amazed and they said, we don't remember doing that for you. He said, when you did it for those less fortunate, you did it for me. When you welcomed the Filipino girls in off the street, you did it for me. When you supported them, helped them have a baby and sent them back to the Philippines, you did it for me. How amazing. How lovely. Now to those on the left, he said, depart into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now I began by saying in the modern church, many people do not believe in hell. They don't want to believe in hell because like we've already discussed, 50% of them probably going to go there so they want to put it out of their mind like if we don't believe in it then surely it won't exist Jesus said these words depart into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels I was hungry and you didn't feed me I needed clothes but you did not clothe me I was sick and in prison but you did not visit me and they said we don't remember seeing you in need. He said, when you didn't help the least, you didn't help me. Now, when we are born again, now there's a, script, uh, there's a saying that some people don't like. In some countries I go to, when I tell people I'm a Christian, they say, oh, you're a born-againer. I don't mind being a born-againer. Uh, if you go to London and you, you talk about Jesus, they call you a happy clappy. <laughs> and uh, so, so the world have their own thoughts about what the church is like. So if you're a born-againer or a happy-clappy, uh, it doesn't really matter. Jesus was the one who talked about being born again. And it was Nicodemus that he spoke to, and Nicodemus was a very intelligent person. 
but he was also seeking God and he came to see Jesus at night time because he was afraid that his friends would see him coming and he came to see Jesus and Jesus told him that he needed to be born again you see after we are born again which is a spiritual transformation that takes place in our life we, we have by a miracle a new purpose we have a new compassion and a new concern for lost and hurting people you see think about the scripture I just read to you the righteous didn't know that they had been doing these things because it was an automatic response from a heart that had been changed by the love of God but it's interesting the unrighteous didn't know they hadn't done it you know why? because they were totally selfish their little lives were so wrapped up in their own world there was no room for people who were in pain like the rich man and Lazarus remember that story Lazarus sat at the gate of the rich man hoping to get scraps of food from his table but after they died a whole different scene developed didn't it now I wonder if you could say honestly that you're in this story Jesus separated the nations he divided them on the right hand and the left hand he commended one group for what they had done and he dismissed the other group because they hadn't done it it is said that there are three surprises in heaven who's there who's not there and that we are there Jesus said to his disciples and to us I go to prepare a place for you and between those words in John 14 and their fulfillment Jesus went to the cross so he said to the disciples I'm going to go and prepare a place for you and from there he went to the cross and he took in his own body the punishment for our sins and I don't care who you are I don't care how wonderful you are how perfect you are we are all sinners we have all failed and we all deserve to suffer for it but Jesus the sinless son of God suffered in our place and if we are willing to confess our need and ask his forgiveness we will be forgiven and receive the promise of eternal life now I have a lot of scriptures which are favorites some people say what's your favorite verse it's hard to say I have a lot of favorite verses I love I love reading John 1 and I love I am moved when I read John 11 where it says he came to his own but his own did not receive him I am moved by that I think oh how how crushing that must have been he came in some translations it says to his own people and his own family but they did not receive him but in the 12th verse it says but to all who received him to them he gave the power to become the sons of God what a tremendous promise that is and I love scriptures uh, in Revelation also maybe my son got it from me I don't know I believe that if we are willing to confess our sins and ask God's forgiveness, He will forgive us 
and we will receive the promise of eternal life. Now I have a friend, I go to China regularly, I have just been in for my 94th time over a period of 21 years. And I have a dear friend there who's been a missionary for many years and he's out in the village and uh, we would take Bibles to him and he gave a Bible to a peasant lady. She was able to read but she was extremely poor. And he said one day, or he gave her a New, a new Testament and one day she came rushing to his house she said oh Pastor John Pastor John she said Jesus has a new dress for me well he didn't even know such a verse was in the Bible himself and so she showed him in, in uh, Revelation 19 that Jesus has a new garment for her of, of fresh linen and I mean it struck her in a way that it wouldn't bother us because we've all got nice clothes so we're really not thinking about the clothes in heaven, it doesn't really mean a bunch of stuff to us because we can get the things we want. But to someone who's only ever had rags, to find out that God has a new dress for us is a very moving thing. I wonder if we, as we close we could look together at uh, Revelation 20. Uh, yep, we've got time. Revelation 20, we'll, look, we'll read uh, verses 11 on. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Now the scripture I want us to think about as we depart today is this one here in verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Saying there is no hell does not make it not exist. Scripture again and again, in fact someone who has studied the scripture more than me says that there are more references in the Bible to hell than there is to heaven. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I suppose from the prayers I've listened to and the amazing singing of this congregation that most of you enjoy that kind of a relationship with God. That Jesus is very central and real in your life. But if there's somebody here today who's realizing an emptiness that you are not enjoying the relationship that God wants you to have, today can be your day. And this can be your moment and you can step out of darkness into light and you can experience something supernatural that God will do for you. He wants to do that for you. In two weeks' time, in less, in fact, in a week's time, I'm going to be 65. And I became a Christian when I was 17. And actually... The night I received Jesus, there was about this many people there. 
just a very narrow building, about as narrow, about the size of this here actually, and, and a, an old wooden floor. And I sat way over in the corner where my friend Sonny is sitting right now. I was sitting in the very back corner and as the pastor was preaching, something happened in my heart. It was beating faster than it had ever done before and I, I was under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And when the pastor said, if you want to receive Jesus, get out of your seat and come down here, I climbed over seats so I could be there quicker. I was anxious to get to meet God. And I got to the front. I was 17 years old. I was howling like a child. And I got down on my face on the floor and I had puddles of tears on the floor. As the tears ran down my face, I hadn't committed any major crimes. I was just a selfish person. And I wanted Jesus to flood every fiber of my being. And I prayed a prayer that I've never forgotten. I remember it today as clearly as I did when I was 17. I said, Dear Jesus, I don't want to be an ordinary Christian. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll say anything you want me to say and I'll do anything you want me to do. And God came and heard my prayer. And God changed my heart and things that I had planned to do, I no longer wanted to. The ambition that drove my life was gone replaced with a new desire to please God and to serve Him. That was the greatest experience that I've ever had. And I promise every single person who's here today that if you want to have and enjoy a relationship with Jesus, that He will meet you in the same way.